This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? My Take Radio, episode 112, for Thursday, October 20th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II's Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. All right, we got a lot of stuff to discuss. We got stuff from Comic-Con that I want to try and discuss. We also got that event coming up next week that needs to be discussed, plus all the usual MMA, video game, movies, and pro wrestling news that we got for you guys this week. But I'll get right into it with the housekeeping, um, our forums, You guys know the deal with the forums. They've been a little quiet as of late. Hell, I haven't even been able to go on there as much as I wanted to just because, uh, you know, restrictions at work, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm still working on trying to make the forums more active. That's still a number one priority for me. Um, Right now, they're on what I like to call the death watch. We're going to keep the forums live till January. We'll see where it goes, if it's improved, if it's not improved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If it improves, great. If it doesn't, um, then we will pull the plug on it. I mean, we have great interactions with you guys on Facebook and Twitter and even via the comments. I'm starting to see more people commenting now that we've switched to the live fire commenting system, which actually has been really good for the site. Um, I'm right up there with discuss as it's right up there with discuss as some of the better, some of the better stuff that we're enjoying, but what can you do? I think at the end of the day, either way you, you either way you slice it, it's going to be something where you're going to want to either comment on the stuff one way or comment on the stuff on Facebook. I mean, I'm I had contemplated moving to the Facebook commenting system. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, just because it it works so seamlessly with the fan page. But I'm tired of giving Mark Zuckerberg all my attention. But I figured I would let you guys know what's going on with that. We are almost at 1,600 fans. I wanted to take the opportunity and welcome all the new fans that have signed on. Um, I hope you're enjoying what we're doing. And just continue to comment on the page. Let us know what you want to see, what you want to hear, and we will try and accommodate you guys. Now, I was going to wait later on in the housekeeping to discuss this, but I figured since it's staring me in the face next week, we will begin our Brawling for Boobies community event. It's being done in partnership with our friends at MMA Valor, Middle Easy, and Unvi- and our partners at Unveil Gaming. Basically, what we're trying to do is do something a little different than the normal community gaming event. We are raising money going to that, which is going to go to Susan Coleman, um, Susan Coleman for the Cure. Minimum donation is five bucks if you want to play. 
That way, you know, you put your gamer tag in the notes with the donation. We know who you are. And it'll all the money's going straight to Susan Coleman. Nobody's touching it. You go right through a page set up by Susan Coleman's site, and you'll be able to donate there. The schedule right now is as follows. On Monday night, it'll be Mortal Kombat on the 360. All the games are going to be on the 360, just in case you guys didn't read the announcement. On Tuesday, we're going to go with EA Sports MMA. Wednesday, we have Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Thursday, we're going to do UFC Undisputed and EA MMA, probably a doubleheader with time allocated to each, depending, because obviously I have to do the show Thursday night, but both titles will be played. Friday, we're going to do a twofer also. That's going to be Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition and Street Fighter 3 Third Strike Online. So those are the titles you'll be able to play. Gameplay for all for every for each day is going to begin at, begin at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's going to end at 11 p.m. Eastern. So a nice two hours. If it goes later and you guys want to stick around, by all means, we can make arrangements for that. But the set times we got are going to be two hours, nine to 11. On Friday, we're going to extend that and go three hours with a nine to midnight. So that way, there can be a, a fair amount of time to play Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition and also Street Fighter 3 Third Strike Online. If you don't want to play the games but want to donate, we're, you're more than welcome to do so. You can head over to the Susan Coleman page and donate. We've got a couple of people that have donated already. Our soft target is $1,000. That's what we're going for. Obviously, we'd love to raise substantially more money, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Every little bit helps. Let's definitely show that two different communities, that being MMA and gaming, can come together for a common good. I'm very happy to have Josh from MMA Valor on board with us and Middle Easy as well. They are, you know, they're, they're gamers also, but their bread and butter is MMA, and it's nice to bring the two together um, for in, in a show not only of solidarity, but just in, in a in a way to do something for the greater good. Last but not least, if you want to help get the word out on Twitter, you can use the hashtags B4B2K11 or KO Breast Cancer. Hashtags, either one of those on Twitter, just to help us spread the word. In addition to that, you can also, if you're on Facebook, we have a public invite, nice way to keep track of who's going to be involved. You can RSVP through there as well. Those are posted on our Facebook fan page, on my personal Facebook, on my wife's Facebook as well. You can also find it on Google+. MMA Valor wrote a fantastic article promoting the event as well. You can check MMAValor.com for details. So those are all the different places where you can get information for the event. Of course, if you have any questions, you can always email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or hit me up on Twitter. As of right now, we got a couple of different people Involved, of course, I'll be playing. Steven from Unveil will be playing. Um, Robski from Robski TV also um, works with Unveil. He's going to be involved. Noel Brown has signed up to play some Marvel versus Capcom 3, so if you're a fan of the pro circuit, you definitely may want to test your skills against Noel Brown. He'll probably be involved on Wednesday for Marvel versus Capcom 3, and maybe we may see him Friday for Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition or Third Strike Online. Keep an eye out for that. If any other pros join us or any other special guests, we will make announcements throughout the week to get the word out. So there you have it, folks. Maybe uh, maybe our buddy Amazing Red will come through and school some of us in UFC Undisputed. And I'm not even talking shit because we're cool, but he's really fucking good. So 
those are some of the things you can look forward to with regards to that. The other thing I did want to discuss is an issue we are having with Libsyn, and um, I wanted to put that out there first and foremost before anybody emails me asking where the shows are. We recorded two episodes of My Take Radio Beyond the Mic this week, and I also got the opportunity to upload episode 111. So My Take Radio app users and Stitcher users should have both of those on their respective apps. We did record another MTR Beyond the Mic with Alana Evans. She's from PwnedByGirls.com, um, a very unique gaming site only because it's it's obviously female-driven, but it's also um, Alana is an adult film actress, so there, there's a little bit of sexiness to it, but she does it in a fun way. She We, we actually had a really great interview last night, so be on the lookout for that. And the issue we're having with Libsyn is that we're currently on the 1500 meg plan, and for some reason we keep going, blasting through all our space. So I've been in contact with Libsyn to try and get it squared away. That way we can post the stuff more frequently. I think that once we reach a certain cap, you have to reach, you have to wait until a day or so. I believe we have to wait until the 24th to, for some space to get freed up. If we can do it sooner, by all by all means, we will. But I just wanted to keep you guys in the loop. So if you don't get the newest show on our app or on Stitcher, you can always go to blogtalkradio.com and listen to it there, or you can subscribe to the RSS feed from Blog Talk Radio, put it in your iPod or whatever MP3 player you have, and you can get episodes that way. Those of you that use the app and use Stitcher, obviously you're going to get the 64K stereo, you're going to get better sound, and some other bonus stuff as well, and you're guaranteed access to the two special programs, MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic. So I just wanted to put that out there. Our partners at Stitcher are also giving away a $100 gift card. If you go to stitcher.com slash mytake and enter the mytake promo code, M-Y-T-A-K-E, you'll be eligible to win a $100 gift card courtesy of Stitcher, and, of course, my take radio. So you can do that if you want to save space on your phone and want to stream the episodes directly. Just head over, like I said, to stitcher.com forward slash my take. Enter my take in the promo code, and you'll be entered to win $100. Our Get Glue check-ins, we're almost at 100 check-ins. Our stickers have finally moved a bit forward. So once we get the ground rules laid out to how you can earn the stickers, they will launch, so be on the lookout for that. The MTR store is live. If you want to get some T-shirts and hoodies with our logo, our respective logos on there, you can head over to the MTR store tab on MyTakeRadio.com, and you can see the merchandise there. We are going a little bit different. We're going to start using American Apparel shirts. They're built better. They last longer, and they're definitely going to cost a little more. I may throw a couple of low-cost options in there for some of our other listeners, but I would like to use American Apparel shirts primarily. They have a great cut, and they can take a bit of a beating. So you're going to see an American Apparel shirt there. We got some hoodies on there. We have a long-sleeve tee on there, and we're going to add some other stuff for the ladies. We may even throw some stuff for the kids in there. So be on the lookout for those updates in the coming weeks. We're also trying to work with some of our our respective uh, brands and partners to put out some merchandise there either, you know, from our friends at, you know, Born Stubborn, VGN, stuff like that. You'll be able to see that stuff 
on the MTR store as well. We also launched an Amazon store where you can go and pick up, pick up some of the newest games, movies, gadgets, and gear that we talk about on the show. Everything is handled by Amazon. We just run the store, and we get to promote some of the products that are there. If you use it, you're not only helping MTR, but you'll still be getting the great service you get through Amazon. So make sure to check out the tab for our Amazon store on MyTakeRadio.com. We are guest-free this week. No guests. This is a... Something I try to do just whenever either I rearrange the show or take a hiatus, I want to try and come in fresh. No guests just to get kind of back on the bandwagon with that. But we do have a lot of great potential guests. We also met a lot of great people at Comic-Con, so you'll be seeing some different guests in the coming weeks um, from MMA. We also got some stuff from, from the gaming industry. We're going to have some fellow broadcasters. We're also going to have some fellow comic book creators on there that are going to share some stuff with us. One of the guys who I had the pleasure of speaking to for Beyond the Mic, Mike Kingston, actually I'm trying to see if we can work something out to have him on a live show, but he was kind enough to give us some give us some issues of Headlocked, his comic book. Some are autographed, some aren't, and we're going to be working on doing some giveaways on our Facebook fan page for comics and a couple of other assorted things that we got, kick-ass shot glasses, things like that from Comic-Con. So we will be posting different things maybe a photo caption contest and a couple of other different cute tchotchke ideas that we're going to try and come up with to give you guys some of the stuff we got at Comic-Con that I know a lot of you will enjoy, whether it be comics or uh, toys. We got some really cool Halo stuff from Mega Bloks. We also got some Marvel superhero stuff from Mega Bloks, so be on the lookout for that. And we're going to be launching those giveaways within the next week or two, hopefully. Schedule permitting, of course. All right, I think we're going to wrap that up. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter this evening. I'm actually going to talk about TNA this evening because their Bound for Glory pay-per-view was, well, let's just say it wasn't what a lot of people expected, but it wasn't good either. We're going to talk about Monday Night Raw. We got your gaming news. We got your movie news. And the opening monologue this week actually is going to be about Comic-Con, and I wanted to share that with you guys and share my experience with regards to the Comic-Con weekend because a lot of great things happened. We met a lot of fantastic people and a lot of people representing their respective brands there. So I'm, I'm going to open up with that. As I said last week, we went live on a Wednesday because we ended up doing Comic-Con Thursday through Saturday. I could not do Sunday I was extremely exhausted, plus we had a lot of stuff to do. But I will tell you guys, there there was such a huge turnout. From what I've been hearing, there's, there was over 125,000 people that attended this year. They The only gripe I have is that the press day was approximately four hours. It was press, VIPs, and pros. And I just feel that with the amount of stuff, especially because this year Comic-Con extended from just the main floor to the entire Javits Center here in New York City. And that building is huge. And it allowed for the aisles to be bigger, people to have more elaborate booths, which was great. There was a stronger video game presence this year, which was a a no-brainer, especially given that New York Comic Con is really starting to step up into San Diego Comic Con territory. Um, I I do feel that the press got a little bit shortchanged and, There was actually an article written on another site 
about the fact that the difference between press and people that had four-day passes was just the color of the pass, which is unfortunate. I think that if we are, as members of the press, going there to cover the event, we should be given a little bit. Now, I'm not asking for preferential treatment because we know that that shit doesn't exist, but what I'm looking for is just something where we can go and spend a little bit more time at the booths, talking to the creators, going into Artist Alley, talking with the artists. It just felt very rushed because as soon as 7 o'clock hit, Slick can attest to this as well, they started cutting off the lights and they started letting people know that, you know, get the fuck out. Friday was just as eventful as Thursday, but we really started to see a lot of boots that were that we didn't get to see Thursday really start taking shape. There were a lot of real great presentations. A lot of panels were going on. There was a lot of after-hours stuff as well. And Friday was a, a very enjoyable day. We met a lot of people. But, it again, it kind of felt rushed, I think, as it was just because the day goes by so quick. And that night we got to actually do a post-Comic-Con party, MTR and, and Unveil, as well as SFX 360, we actually did a party at Studio 21 in the city. I got to meet Carlos Ferro, who does the voice of Dom in Gears of War. Uh, that was a that was an interesting experience. We'll just leave it at that. Carlos Ferro was cool, though. He had a we had a, a laugh or two, and um, it was a great night. We had a good turnout for the event. Um, I'm not I'm not a big club person, so it definitely took some adjustment, primarily because you know I don't drink. So I kind of felt square peg round hole, but there was a lot of, it it was very crowded in there. So I'm also claustrophobic, so that didn't help. But Friday was, Friday was fun. Saturday was insane. I've never seen a building packed with so many people. It was, it was nuts. Panels were full and all, every panel was full. The only issue I had with the panel was something that, uh, Bronx, one of our staff members, brought brought to our attention, is that once people got into the panel, they were not leaving, which was bullshit. And Slick also reminded me about that. People would go into the panel at 10 a.m. Panel would end, they wouldn't leave. So what happens is if you paid money and, you know, you were a VIP or a pro or even a member of the press and you'd get on this line for this panel, you'd be on the line two hours, maybe three hours, and before you knew it, boom, you'd get to the door, they'd say, hey, we got no fucking space for you. So those of us that wanted to cover the panels that were really looking forward to it got fucked. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the Avengers panel was a great example of how huge that line was. That line snaked pretty much through a large portion of, of, the, of the level where the panels were being held. It was, it was insane. The turnout was ridiculous. And it really helped solidify the New York Comic Con as more of a of a legit convention on par with San Diego. I think one of the things that a lot of people talked about and I read about it this time, you know, after the shows, was the fact that the San Diego Comic Con seems to get the preferential treatment and the New York Comic Con isn't viewed as being quote unquote up to par. This year I, I think we held our own. I think the the East Coast really did their thing. It was a fantastic event. We, Like I said, we got a lot of great stuff. We got to meet Greg Pack, whose book, Vision Machine, Ant reviewed recently. He was kind enough to actually give us a preview issue of his newest upcoming title, Autographed, 
and he also gave a title to uh, a copy to Slick. Slick is going to be reviewing it as well. We also got some playtime with Prototype 2, which was beautiful, extremely violent, extremely gruesome. The creative team was very welcoming. Slick had a blast, especially because he's a he's a big Prototype fan. I was very impressed. I got to see a little bit of Max Payne 3. I couldn't take any video because there was a serious blackout. Max Payne 3 was, was exactly what you would expect. Very well done. Very beautiful. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, only because a lot of people have been giving Rockstar shit after L.A. Noir. GTA 3 celebrates 10 years. We actually got to see something which, I, which blew my mind, and that was GTA 3 on the iPad. Myself and Josh, who's another iPad user, got to see it running at full speed. It, it was ridiculous. It felt on par with regular console graphics. It played well. Very intuitive control scheme. And it's going to be a game that's going to really put the iPad up there as a legit gaming device. Not to say that it's not, but the iPad for many people is still considered a toy or a casual type of device. It was fantastic. Music, voices, the way the action went down. Uh, Slick is reminding me about a lot of stuff because I have notes on one screen and there are certain things I don't want to miss. But GTA 3 on the iPad is, is definitely a must-see. Uh, Final Fantasy 13-2, beautiful. We got to see Mass Effect 3 in multiplayer, which is insane. Um, a lot of great cosplay, a lot of great costumes were seen. You can check out all the photos on our Facebook fan page, on my Google Plus page, on my Facebook account, my personal account if we're friends. Slick has photos. Josh has photos. It, it was a, a wonderful experience. I think next year, schedule permitting, I will tough it out and do all four days. That way we can make sure to cover everything from start to finish. But overall, it, it was a fantastic time. If you had never attended a Comic-Con, it's, it's a wonderful experience. Sundays are usually reserved for the kids with Kids Day. So if you have children, it's great. You get to see some of your favorite characters, take a lot of photos. And like I said, just a, a, a totally unique experience. We met so many great people. We got to see the Triforce. They do real-life replicas of video game weapons. They showed us some stuff from Darksiders 2, which I'm not going to get into. Don't want to spoil that for you guys. But they had... Uh, a giant Lancer from Gears of War 3. They were selling it for about 950 bucks. When the show started Friday, they had, I believe, 20 to 25 guns. By the time late Saturday evening rolled around, they sold out completely. They were a great group of guys. Make sure to check them out, Triforce. They're in our favorites on our Facebook fan page. They had really great statues from Gears of War as well. Super pumped, and I'm going to try and write up uh, 100 or so articles that I got. I started most of them right after Comic-Con. Slick has done a great job uh, with Prototype 2. He also talked about his 10 things that he learned. Andrea wrote her article as well. And I'm going to try and get out a couple of spotlights and a couple of things. Uh, Kotobukiya, impressive showing. Slick actually picked up a statue from them, and they had some really beautiful statues on display. Our, the photos for that are on our Facebook fan page. So overall, great event. Can't wait till next year. And we're going to try and do some other local stuff as well. I know that the bulk of our coverage for Comic-Con consumes so much time, but we're going to try and get to smaller shows. It's just something that is, like I said, it's very time-consuming. So we're going to make sure 
to get some local stuff in there. I know they had the Uncharted 3 event this week, which I know our buddies from the show radio were there and a couple of other sites. But real world, kids, real world. MTR, unfortunately, is not my 100% day job, even though it is because it is behind the scenes. But that's the monologue for this week. All right, let's get into some MMA. I'm actually testing our and you guys are going to get a kick out of this. I think I finally mastered the iPad as a uh, as a soundboard this week. So I'm going to play the UFC intro not through Blog Talk Radio, but through the iPad this time. It would only be appropriate for us to play that and start with the Ultimate Fighter first. Uh, this week, I didn't get to catch last week's episode. I had to watch it on DVR, and I would have recapped it, but it makes no fucking sense. But I will go through the fight that did occur, and I'm not going to go through all the extra shit because it doesn't make sense. But Dustin Nice versus uh, Akira Khorasani was ridiculous. There was a little bit of... I think uh, Nice definitely looked really good in the first round. Uh, Corsani, very uh, a very aggressive dude, really does his thing. But Nice, Nice was definitely the aggressor in the first round. Uh, it ended up at one point where Nice grabbed a heel hook, and there was a little bit of controversy. People were wondering if Akira tapped. Akira ended up escaping, and he got in two quick shots when the round ended. Nice looked really good, especially with the submission he almost caught Akira with. Round two, Akira came out real aggressive with the first kick, but he was throwing a lot of wild punches. They ended up in a clinch up against the fence. Nice was eating a ton of knees to the belly, at which point they disengaged a bit. Nice did catch him on the chin, and he went for a spinning back fist, but Akira caught him with a hard shot. Boom, dropped Nice. It was, it was crazy. When Akira went in for the kill, Nice actually tied him up in the guard, and... Akira got side control, but overall it was a, a good display by Akira, but Nice did look really impressive in the first round. Akira secured the victory um, via majority decision, but the the crazy thing was that Akira almost got booted off the show just by being a complete fucking lunatic. So there was a lot of, especially teasing this particular episode, there was a lot of hype surrounding the fact that, you know, he may get the fucking boot because he's a psychopath. But he looked really good in the fight. Um, you know, Diego and Siler are going to be next. And right now, Team Mayhem Miller is looking really good. They've only, their first loss was with Nice. Nice is the first guy to lose off their team. Um, on Bisping's side, you got TJ Dillashaw is left, John Albert, Diego Brandao, and Akira Corsani are left. Steven Das, uh, Marcus, and Lewis were eliminated. So you can start, you really start to see the, I really want to say, I guess, the strengths of the coaches. I, I'm always shocked when they put certain guys there as coaches, not because certain guys are better coaches than others, but there are certain coaches that have been on the Ultimate Fighter that for some reason I just don't feel they are coach material. Bisping, this is his second run as a coach, and I don't know. I've been I've been a little, I guess I've been a little split with how to to take his uh, 
I don't I don't know how to ugh. I guess some guys got it and some guys don't. That's how I see it. I think Bisping is a great fighter. He's entertaining to watch, but I don't think his coaching style fits. I feel that this season his assistants have stepped up and his assistants are doing the bulk of it. Mayhem is more I guess hands on. He 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 works with his fighters a bit better than Bisping, and I'm only going by what I've seen on television. This could be totally fucking wrong, but I feel that it's been presented in such a way that Miller is just a better coach. Things could change very quickly next week going forward, but Miller is showing that he's really getting his fighters ready, and the cream is just rising to the top in terms of the Ultimate Fighters castmates. So we shall see what happens next week with that. I did want to talk about Bellator 54, that happened this past Saturday. A lot of great fights on there. You had uh, Zach Makovsky and Ryan Roberts were involved in the main event. And then in addition to that, you had, um, actually, did I fuck that up? Yeah, you had Ryan Roberts and Zach Makovsky. That was a bantamweight non-title fight. You had Jacob Kerwan and Rene Nazare. That was a lightweight fight. Vitor Viana and Brian Baker was insane on the semifinal side of things. And Brian Rogers versus Alexander Shlomenko was just as crazy. We had some prelim fights that went down on Spike.com. Um, only I want to actually just get into the, the two fights at the end. Uh, Vitor Viana and Brian Baker, those guys came out fast and furious. It was insane. But Vitor Viana landed such an insane haymaker that... He crumpled Baker, and Viana went in there and just secured himself a, a trip to the finals with a, a flurry of hammer fists. Just he he really caught that haymaker was so vicious because of the way that Baker fell. It, it was almost like when you drop when you come home from school and you drop your book bag. That's the way he kind of crumpled over. But uh, a great display from Viana. Brian Rogers and Alexander Shlomenko was was as exciting as you would expect. Rogers looked really good in the first round, um, but Shlomenko stepped his game up. He went in, he caught him with some knees. He, he kneed him in the temple in the second round, and that was it. It was, uh, in, in the words of Michael Chiavella, it was good night, Irene, as Alexander Shlomenko secured himself a quick trip to the middleweight finals with a TKO in round two. Bellator, as always, is so underrated, but such a great promotion. Uh, our buddy, our friend Josh at MMA Valor does a great job making sure to acknowledge how good Bellator is. Uh, our friends at MMA Gospel do the same thing. Bellator is a great organization that just needs to get into the right, the right network. I think MTV2 has been good, and now they're doing stuff on FXHD, but I think solidifying that relationship with Spike TV is the way to go, especially considering that Spike TV has that built-in MMA audience. I'm still having issue trying to accept that MTV2 is nothing more than the bastard child of MTV. And Bellator helps get that stigma, get well, it helps you get past that stigma, but it's always going to jump out at you, that MTV logo. So I really would like Bellator to get the opportunity to hit Spike TV, but we shall see what happens in the coming weeks. Moving on into some other MMA news. I'll keep with uh, I'll stay with Bellator first. But Bellator's lightweight champion Eddie Alvarez will defend his title against season four tournament winner Michael Chandler at Bellator 58. 
That's going to be taking place November 19th at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. Matches confirmed thus far are Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler. Hector Lombard will be fighting Trevor Prangley. That's a non-title fight. And Jessica Aguilar will be taking on Lisa Ellis Ward. This coming weekend, we have Bellator 55. That's going to be taking place at the Cocopa Resort in Yuma, Arizona. The main card on MTV2 is Ricardo Terloni and Steve Gable. Uh, Christian, M- this guy's name I'm going to fuck up. I, I believe it's Christian Umfumbu, if I'm correct. He's going to be taking on Travis Wilf, and that's a non-title lightweight, light heavyweight fight. Eduardo Dantas and Ed West are going to lock up on the bantamweight tournament semifinals, and Marcus Galvao and Alexis Villa are your main event for that evening. The prelims, as always, will be on Spike.com. I can't stress enough, check Bellator out. Exciting fights every Saturday. It's free. It's on cable. Give them a shot. You'll be glad you did. That's this weekend, and it's going to be on MTV2, Epics, and on Spike.com for the prelims. Moving on into some UFC news, UFC 139, the countdown will debut November 14th at 11 o'clock Eastern on Spike TV. It will replay the 16th at 3 o'clock and then the 19th at 6. There'll probably be replays on Versus and HDNet, which is the norm. The card for UFC 139 is as follows. On the pay-per-view portion, you got Hendo and Shogun as your main event. Kung Lee and Vanderlei is your co-main event. You got Brian Bowles and Uriah Faber. Martin Campman and Rick Story. Stephen Bonner and Kyle Kingsbury round out your pay-per-view portion. On Spike TV, you got Ryan Bader and Jason Brills. Then you got Tom Lawler and Chris Weedman. On the prelims, probably on Facebook, Nick Pace versus Miguel Torres, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Gleason Tebow, Johnny Eduardo versus Michael McDonald will wrap that up. That's going to be happening for UFC 139. The countdown for UFC 139 is going to be November 14th. Now I want to talk about one of one, one of my favorite heavyweights in the UFC, Shane Carwin, very humble, really cool dude. Um, he actually is under, has undergone surgery, which will put him on the shelf till the late spring or summer of 2012. He posted on his website, and I'm going to share it with you guys. It reads as follows. As a man of faith, I know that you are never given more burden than you can carry. I feel that the last couple of years have tested me in more ways than I have ever imagined. The challenges, the being close to greatness and yet so far away have been nothing less than motivating. I have spent my entire fighting career dealing with injuries from my football career. I have done my best to go to get through them and get through my training, and I've been blessed to get through all my fights with relatively little to no damage. As I ramped up my training for UFC 141, my body locked up during training. It wasn't like the Lesnar fight, but my back just tightened up and I froze. I scheduled an MRI, and the results showed that the disc in my lower back had made its way into my nerves. My doctor gave me two options, retire, and I could probably go on for a few years without surgery, or I could undergo the surgery and continue my career. The decision was easy. I have unfinished business. The UFC had me lined up to face one of the best in the world, and I'm confident I have everything I need to be a champion. I'm scheduling surgery, and I hope to return to the Octagon by spring or summer 2012. I'll be in Vegas for Halloween weekend for UFC 137's viewing party, and I look forward to a fast and speedy recovery. Thanks to my sponsors and fans for all your support, Carwin. See, this is this is one of the things. You can have 
all the charisma in the world, like Chael Sonnen. You can have that killer instinct and that wrestling that wrestling promo background like Brock Lesnar. You can be a massive Goliath like Overeem. But guys like Shane Carwin, um, Tim Kennedy, I, I can go down the list. of guys that just are, are great ambassadors for the sport. They are great representatives of all the good that can come out of MMA. The, Shane Carwin is, has, a, has a great story. He's humble. He's 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 just an all around great guy. He always presents himself in a in a in a way that's beneficial to the sport. And I'm I'm sad to hear that he had to get this surgery. But on the same note, I am actually happy to see him taking care of all these nagging injuries. He'll be back in the summer, and I'm sure he's going to come in and do just as much damage as he was doing before he went on the shelf. Not only that, but God knows the extent of how injured he's been fighting, and that probably has been hampering his ability to be successful. So wish him the best. We'll see Carwin in late spring, early summer of 2012. UFC 137, tons of controversy for that, October 29th at the Mandalay Bay Event Center in Vegas. Your main event was supposed to have been George St. Pierre and Carlos Condit. Everybody was super pumped. People were bummed that it wasn't Diaz, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what happens? Karma rears its ugly head, and GSP is off the card with a knee injury. Carlos Condit withdrew from his match with GSP because he wanted to wait for that opportunity. So what happens is Nick Diaz and BJ Penn are now your main event followed by Czech Congo, Matt Mitrione, Krokop, and Roy Nelson, Hatsu Hioki, and George Roop. On the prelims on Spike TV, Donald Cerrone and Dennis Seaver, Tyson Griffin and Bart Polshevsky. And on Facebook, you got Dustin Jacoby versus Brad Tavares, which actually is now being moved up to the pay-per-view card. Got my notes a little mixed up there. Jeff Curran and Scott Jorgensen are going to be fighting on the Facebook card, Elliot Marshall and Brandon Vera. Danny Downs and Ranzi Najem and Chris Camozzi and Francis Carmont. Now, I'm shocked that they moved the Dustin Jacoby and Brad Tavares fight to the pay-per-view side of things, only because I would have rather the Jeff Curran-Scott Jorgensen fight, because I know that fight's going to be exciting to watch. There's going to be fireworks. Scott Jorgensen is uh, a great talent. I would have even gone with Elliot Marshall and Brandon Vera, only because Brandon Vera is a, a, a known name and People will want to see him fight on the pay-per-view side of things, but it is what it is. GSP will be out about four to six weeks. His fight with Condit will probably happen first quarter of 2012. BJ Penn and Nick, and Nick Diaz will be your main event. It's a, scheduled to be a three-round fight. People were kind of pushing for a five-rounder, but they ended up agreeing, as per the contract, that the fight will remain at three rounds couple of things I'm a little bummed out about with regards to that is the, uh, the following. And I'm sure I know Josh from MMA Valor is in the chat. A lot of people took issue with Carlos Condit with, withdrawing from the fight because they felt that he was stepping in for Nick Diaz's fuck-up, which in turn made it seem like, you know, the guy didn't really earn his shot. So why shouldn't he have fought anyway? Now, you can you can look at it that way. That I'm kind of 50-50 on it, primarily because GSP wanted to test himself against Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz had his little issues with the whole press and shit. And Carlos Condit, you know, he slid right in. And everybody felt that Carlos Condit had a great chance of beating GSP for the belt. Now, with that said, 
if you were given this opportunity, you didn't, not to say he didn't earn it, but if it was given to you and you probably still had the chance to fight GSP, why not take the opportunity to fight? And, and, and you sitting there and saying, yeah, we'll just wait for GSP to get better, it makes it seem like you're, you're better than all the other fighters that are in that division. That's how I take it. On the flip side, I see that the guy doesn't want to go fight somebody else. I, I think Josh Koscheck put out an open, a, a challenge towards him. He doesn't want to go. And with the Koscheck fight, I can see some of the, the rationale because if Carlos Condit fought Josh Koscheck, who GSP's beaten twice, and loses to Koscheck, that's going to throw a, a huge monkey wrench in the guy's plans because even though he had the title shot, people are going to look at him like, dude, you lost to a guy that GSP's beaten twice. Why isn't that guy getting the shot? I just I just don't understand where this can go because right now if Diaz beats Penn, is Diaz going to get that shot? Will he fight the winner of Condit and GSP? Because after what happened before, I don't know if the UFC is going to be so inclined to give him that shot right away. I think the fight that everybody wants to see is Diaz and GSP. I like Condit. He's exciting to watch. But like anything else, it almost feels like a placeholder fight. I, I'm torn, man. I, I really am. I just, you know, GSP being hurt sucks, and it puts a huge damper on the card, but Carlos Condit sitting out, eh, I don't know, it raises an eyebrow or two in my, in my opinion, but it is what it is. In some other injury news, it seems to be going around, especially with knee injuries. Zoila Gurgel, champion, well, Zoila Frosto, now Zoila Gurgel, is the champion in Bellator, is out of Bellator 57's, uh, fight with Karina Dam because she has a torn ACL. So the knee injuries seem to be running all over the place. And a lot of people are saying that the UFC belts are cursed because every guy that's had a belt has gotten injured at some, at some stage in the game. I just feel that, and especially with a guy like GSP, you're, you're pushing yourself hard, getting ready for this fight, and shit happens. That's, that's about it. The beauty of, a, of an organization like the UFC is that they have so much talent that they can they can just on the fly put a card together and still make it work. Josh from MMA Valor said that Koscheck offered himself up, but rumor is that the Condit offered him. Uh, Car- Carlos Condit was offered a fight with Anthony Rumble Johnson, and he decided to wait. Um, I think that if that is the case, a fight with Rumble would have been very very exciting to watch, and. Not for nothing, had Rumble beaten Condit, it definitely would have catapulted him up there to a title shot. And the way Anthony Rumble Johnson fights, I think he can he can push the pace in, in a championship fight. I think the kid has the tools. Um, some people were, you know, bitching about his smothering cover against, um, of, of course, Dan Hardy. But I think Rumble definitely can push the pace in a, in a championship fight. I think he can hang with Condit, definitely. He has heavy hands and great wrestling. And against a guy like GSP, I'd, I'd put some money on Rumble Johnson to possibly pull off the upset. But right now, Nick Diaz is a man, and I'm actually picking him in his fight with BJ Penn. I like BJ. BJ is, is a great fighter. But Diaz, Diaz's sound clip from the, the call he did a, the, a day or so ago was great. Make weight, get fight, and get paid. That's it. Nick Diaz isn't here to to make friends or sell shirts. He's here to make weight, fight, and get paid. 
And sometimes you need that, that brutal honesty to sell a fight. You don't need promos and videos and bullshit, just brutal honesty and, and God-given talent. And Diaz has it, and I think the fight with GSP would have been amazing, but it'll happen at one point or another. All right, that's going to wrap things up. I am going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on All Games. Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. All right. Um, if you guys are in the chat, just do me a favor and let me know how that sound clip sounded. Just uh, testing it out with the soundboard on the iPad. Thanks. All right. Now, I swore I wasn't going to talk about TNA, and I kind of haven't, just because they're they're bullshit and they do a lot of shitty stuff. But this particular card needed to be discussed. This is their their flagship event, Bound for Glory. It took place in Philly uh, this past weekend. And I just want to run through some of the, the matches. The opening match was a tag team title match between Mexican America and Inc. Inc. It was a solid opener. It also showed uh, it also showcased the debut of a new knockout, Christina Von Erie, who is aligned with Inc. Inc. And, you know, Mexican America kept the belts, but it was a fun match. It was really great to a really great opener. I, I'm starting to like what they're doing with Inc. Inc. as a tag team. I was kind of in that gray area when they started pushing uh, Jesse to be more heelish. I like both of these guys on the same page. They have the makings of a new generation of Hardy Boys. Their, their tats, the way they present themselves, it really works with the mainstream audience. Mexican America, I'm a little worried about how they're being perceived as heels, only because the the whole I'm Mexican... I'm better than you gimmick can only take you so far. Hernandez just doesn't have the makings of a natural heel. In my opinion, the only reason you really want to hate them is because Anarchia is an annoying piece of shit. And because of Rosita and Sarita as well, they do a really great job of healing it up and making the tag team look well, making the faction look more credible. I just think that Hernandez leading this faction and being a heel is not, I don't know. I just don't get that vibe that they're very solid. That's all. We'll see how it goes, but I, I see them being more of a face uh, on, on par with LAX as a face team than trying to be a, a heelish ethnic faction. I just don't feel her. I, I just don't feel that Hernandez can carry that himself. The TNA X division title match with Austin Aries and Brian Kendrick was exactly as you would expect. It was exciting from start to finish. Austin Aries is the man. His brain buster is disgusting. It was, it was beautiful. Some people are going to call this, this, this match a spot fest. 
you motherfuckers really need to get off that shit. Aries is solid. Kendrick is good. And there was really great storytelling there. The full metal mayhem match with Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn actually was the match that jumped out as one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan of Rob Van Dam who happens to have a show on blog talk radio, but that's besides the point. And anytime him and Jerry Lynn get together, it's magic. I like that this match played on their strengths. These guys, you know, they're not getting any younger. So a lot of the spots were crazy, but they were well-placed and well-timed to make it look like it, it made the match. It, you would almost think this match was the main event of the pay-per-view by the, by the amount of work these two guys put in there. Jerry Lynn can still go, and he was amazing to watch. And Rob Van Dam is he's the whole fucking show. There were uh, some really great spots. Uh, Van Dam doing the coast-to-coast with the chair was, was beautiful with a Van Terminator in the corner. The crowd was electric for this match. And I really, really said to myself, if TNA did this all the time, I wouldn't want to break my TV. But it looked, it looked really good. I was, I, I'll give the devil their due. TNA, you did a good job with this match. But the problem that concerns me now is where does it all go? Do you put Van Dam and Jerry Lynn together, maybe a run at the tag belts? Do you close out this feud and send them into new feuds? I honestly would like to see Lynn and Van and Van Dam in the tag team to help bolster the tag team ranks, and I'll tell you why based on the main event. Next, we had Samoa Joe, Matt Morgan, and Crimson, which was just another match to bury Joe and make Crimson look good. And I don't hate Crimson. Crimson is a, is a good wrestler. He has a, a tremendous upside. He's young. He has a great look. The tattoos work. Morgan is always going to be marketable only because, you know, he's, he's ginormous. But I just feel that Samoa Joe has been on the shit end of the stick with every match. And it, it's unfortunate because Samoa Joe is a guy who you can build your company around. He's a great technician. He can do aerial moves with the best of the smaller guys. His promos are intense. He has great intensity to him. A lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, his look is a little different. But you know what? Fedor was champion. Let's just look at it like that. When you look at Fedor, you see a guy who you think would work behind a, a dry cleaning counter or be an accountant. You don't see a guy that can pretty much decapitate you with his fist. Same thing with Samoa Joe. You look at him, you'd think he was an extra on Hawaii Five-0. The guy is a tremendous talent. He's a fantastic wrestler. And the fact that TNA continues to drop the ball with him bugs me the fuck out. That's how I see it. It really, it really trips me out. The false count anywhere match with Bully Ray and Mr. Anderson was another match that surprised me only because I expected it to be, I expected it to be complete garbage. But Bully Ray, Philly, home of ECW, really worked out well. Mr. Anderson looked fantastic in the match. And Bubba, Bubba Ray, you know, Bully Ray as he's now known, really stepped stepped his game up as a heel. He looked really good in the match. Is is he main event is he main event caliber does he deserve a belt? No. Is he a legit heel? Yes. We'll just go into that. TNA Knockouts title match was forgettable from start to finish. The only memorable thing out of it was that Velvet Sky won her first TNA Knockouts title, which, you know, it was only a matter of time. She's used in every promo, every photo, and anything regarding women's wrestling in TNA. Her not having the belt by this point was foolish. It almost feels like she's the Kelly Kelly of TNA, but the only difference is Velvet Sky has a little bit more wrestling ability than Kelly. Well, not a little, but definitely substantially more. The I Quit match with AJ and Christopher Daniels 
of an enjoyable match. These guys always work well together. I didn't like the ending, the way it went down with the whole screwdriver and Christopher Daniels leaving and then coming back and getting his heat back by doing the Angels wings on AJ. But I'm sure this isn't, this isn't going to be the last match we see with these two guys. So if you're going to keep that storyline going and give us great wrestling, fuck it, I'll take it. Hulk Hogan and Sting was complete and utter horseshit. Not even dog shit, horseshit. Big steaming piles of horse-drawn carriage bullshit that you see on the streets of New York during the holidays. That's how bad it was. But the funny thing about this match is that it served a different purpose. Yeah, it was, you know, Hulk Hogan's back rake of doom, and it was, you know, street fight match. Hogan wasn't taking any bumps which we all knew wasn't going to happen because the guy's fucking spine is held together with Elmer's glue and chewing gum. But the whole payoff for this match was Sting winning with the Scorpion Deathlock, Immortal coming out and attacking Sting, Hogan hulking up and attacking Immortal. So obviously it seems that Hogan has done the full circle now and he's back to being a face with Sting. This is actually going to open up the possibility of a match with Flair because we know that they, they love doing these matches with these old-timers. So who knows? We may see Flair and Hogan one, one more time. But I think that it could have been done a lot different. I think if you wanted to do a Hogan turn, you could have done that on fucking Impact. I think that the necessity for this match was bullshit. The, the crowd was 100% into this match. It was, it was a sloppy, dirty brawl. It was not even technically sound, but it worked in making Hogan come full circle and giving some validity to what Sting's been doing the last couple of months, getting into Hogan's head. We'll leave it at that. Was it dog shit? Yes. Did it serve a purpose? Unfortunately, it did. Now, this TNA world title match. I haven't talked about TNA for a while. I haven't really been watching it too tough, but um, here's, here's how it goes. Kurt Angle went into this match injured. They did a huge amount of build-up for Robert Roode on, you know, on TNA programming, and I was really looking forward to seeing him win the belt. The guy had the tools. He did really well. In, in Not only he did really well in the match, he has tremendous wrestling ability. He's marketable, and I just think he, he, he has that look to him that makes him championship caliber. Was that going to happen? No. As it turns out, Kurt Angle won the belt. Well, Kurt Angle retained. The match was great. It was exactly what you would expect, especially with Kurt Angle being injured. But the payoff with Rude winning, that feel-good moment that you wanted, didn't happen. Now, I'll go into something. and You know, they gave impact recently, and it was taped. But they ended up doing this, and I'm going to go into what happened on impact this week only because it needs to be addressed. But Hulk Hogan was on busted opens radio show this week. I believe earlier, uh, earlier today it was taped yesterday or it was taped Wednesday and Tuesday, whatever he was on busted open. And they were asking him about these wrestlers and they asked him about Robert Roode, And he said the following, he goes, nah, he's not ready. He's not the next guy. You know, they might think he is, but he's not Dixie Carter might think he is, but he's not. He's not the next guy. If I had to bet money on anybody and really be serious about betting money on anybody, I'd say Jeff Hardy is the next guy if he keeps his act together. That's what you got to have, man. 
This is much more than being a wrestler. This is crossing barriers, medias, you know, media barriers, and the entertainment barriers of all kinds. Getting your character down verbally has 90% to do with getting over. I just have a strong feeling Kurt Angle is going to clean his clock performance-wise and carry the match. This was before the, uh, the pay-per-view, sorry. And basically remains the champion. He's training for the Olympics. He's had some up-and-down moments. But I don't think that this is going to be the match where Kurt Angle is going to lose. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing. Hulk Hogan sits here. Robert Roode has been with TNA since day one. The guy's gone from singles competitor to tag team competitor to faction competitor, back to singles competitor to tag team competitor, then back to singles again. The guys run the gamut. The guy has the look, he's, he has good mic work, and he has good wrestling. What is the fucking problem? This fucking balding motherfucker sits here and has the gall to say that Jeff Hardy's the, the guy. The guy that can transcend media and cross barriers. So let me get this straight. This guy gets arrested. They find drugs in his house. He shows up unfit to compete on pay-per-view. And... Worst of all is his matches have gotten stale because of his inability for obvious reasons. That's what's been said. But this is the guy that you feel will take the company into the mainstream? Jeff fucking Hardy? WWE tried, and they dropped the ball because they were scared that he would fuck up. That's not to say that Jeff Hardy is not a tremendous talent. He is. The man, is, the man has a, a tremendous upside. But crossing into the mainstream where you're judged so, so I want to say so viciously, look at WWE's attempts to mainstream some of these guys. It just doesn't work. The only guy who's been able to mainstream flawlessly is The Rock, period. From this current crop of wrestlers from the 90s to now, The Rock has been the guy. John Cena... And Triple H, yeah, you know, they do their little movies. Stone Cold Steve Austin is, is getting in there. He, I, I'd equate him second to The Rock in terms of mainstream appeal. Triple H did Blade. He's done all those shitty-ass movies for WWE films. And don't even ask me about Randy Orton. Randy Orton's acting capability, I think my fucking, my Sackboy plush does a better job of acting just standing on my windowsill than Randy Orton does in a fucking movie. That's fact. I just don't like that Hogan went on a show and just buried a guy who's, who's competing for, for your flagship title, for your main title, and then you're pushing a guy who's just coming back from serving a 10-day jail sentence. It boggles my fucking mind. They asked him next about James Storm. He stated, I'd go with James Storm all day. Mainstream, brother, cowboy hat, beer drinking, middle America, NASCAR, Walmart, Country Western, I mean, all day long, it's a no-brainer. That's me. That's my opinion. So, I mean, yeah, Bobby Roode's a tremendous athlete. I'd build him from Venice Beach, California, Omaha, Nebraska, instead of, I don't know, Canada. I love him to death. He's a great kid. When he looked down at me from the ring, and we had an argument one day, and he goes, what, what the hell have you ever done? I said, man, this guy this guy'd be a great heel. But, yeah, he has a lot of potential there to him. But if you asked me to choose who to run with, and you gave me these two choices, that'd be my opinion. Which leads me to what happened on Impact this week, which was, you know, Sting and Hogan are kind of running TNA, quote-unquote. They book a match with Angle and James Storm for the belt. Now, if you're smart, you'll know what happens next. And what is that? James Storm wins the fucking belt. 
They go from Robert Roode, who's credible, and they put it on the drinking cowboy. Now, I'm not downplaying James Storm ability. I like him. He's great. He's funny. He can cut a good promo. But you just spend all this energy building up Robert Roode to throw it out the fucking window and put the belt on Storm. Now, obviously, the no-brainer feud is going to be Storm and Rude, which, whatever, you can go that route, and you can do a couple of things with that. But then why make people spend the $60 and see Rude lose? I hate that bait-and-switch shit that TNA does, and they do it often. When asked about Jeff Hardy, Hogan said, I, if I had to bet money on anybody and be really serious, I'd say Jeff Hardy. I mean... He just doesn't have five-star matches. He shines outside the ring. He walks through the mall, and people know who he is. He's got a look. He's got an air about him. He's got the it, it, the it factor. That's what you got to have. This is much more the ring of being a wrestler, which... This is, this is the funny thing. Everybody's going to recognize Jeff Hardy. The guy's tattooed. He has a fucking vine on his arm. His hair's multicolored. He has a tattoo on his neck. You can pull out Jeff Hardy out of a room with 17 other tattooed douchebags and you'd find Jeff Hardy immediately. The guy is a unique individual that can't be missed. What, because he gets recognized in a fucking mall? You're an idiot. Jeff Hardy's been on WWE for years, so he was already a household name. You act like TNA made him a household name. It's bullshit. And you insult wrestling fans' intelligence by saying that and not giving the belt to Rude because he wasn't quote-unquote ready, this is, this is the juncture where I tell Hulk Hogan to eat a dick. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait until TNA figures out what the fuck they're doing, and maybe I'll decide to watch again. But this next bit of, of news continues to show the backwards progression that TNA has with regards to certain things. And that is, according to the PW Insider, that TNA has signed a deal with Jersey Shore cast member Ronnie Ortiz for several appearances. They're going to be taking place over four episodes of Impact, starting, I believe, with the episode October 26th. So, yeah, you've had Wow on there. You've had, I think it was Sammy that was on there. And now you've got Ronnie on there. Yeah, sure, you, you know, he's, he's a jack dude, but that's, that's your mainstream angle. Uh, TNA, you guys, you guys fucking kill me some days. You guys kill me more often than I'd like to admit. Whoops, hit the mic. Sorry, guys. If any of you were standing close, let's get into some WWE stuff. The WWE Network, which has been announced for 2012, looks to be moving closer and closer to launching in April of 2012 than anything else because they want to use the hype for WrestleMania to launch the network. Originally, they were saying that they wanted to have the big four pay-per-views on the network to entice people to order. That way, the WWE would be able to make pay-per-view revenue and get people to order the channel. But instead, they're looking at a new angle, which is the angle that I would prefer, which is that they're going to have all their secondary events air on the network and then cut the pay-per-view schedule from 13 pay-per-views to the Big Four, which, if you're a longtime wrestling fan, you remember that the Big Four pay-per-views were always great because there was a huge build-up for them, and you were able to monitor the storylines a lot closer. It didn't feel so rushed. It almost feels like WWE has a pay-per-view every two weeks, which, in some cases, is, is that is the case. Right now, the plan is, WWE makes around $25 million from WrestleMania. So 
in giving that away for free on the WWE Network, they would not make that money back. On the bright side, they'll get more viewers subscribing to a channel and they can watch all the other pay-per-views. Well, or no longer pay-per-views. I think that I would be more inclined to have the WWE Network and be able to watch, I don't know, Hell in the Cell or Vengeance if it was part of the programming as opposed to spending $45 on a pay-per-view, which two weeks from now, I'm going to have to spend $45 more. It's foolish. Going back to the big four pay-per-view formula works, and I think they should definitely go in that direction. But we'll see how it pans out come April. I did want to go into Monday Night Raw, but you know what? There was so much bullshit on Monday Night Raw this week um, that the only thing I will say, it was good to see Zack Ryder on Raw. He got a victory over Jack Swagger. Um, Del Rio and Michael Cole versus John Cena and Jim Ross was embarrassing. Embarrassing. The fact that this was your main event, fucking Michael Cole again in the main event spotlight is, is, is terrible. It's fucking terrible. You could have just done something with Del Rio and Cena, but there's no necessity to put these fucking announcers in angles. It, it, it sucks. They always do it, and I get tired of seeing it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to beat up Raw this week because I was really disappointed. I, I really expected more from WWE this week, but they dropped the ball. I guess TNA had to creep up and do their thing with the pay-per-view and with their um, impact surprise that they had with uh, James Storm winning the belt, but whatever. That's going to wrap up wrestling. I am going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to talk some video games right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight, tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right. Huh. What is that? I see uh, tactical difficulties. I don't have any, if that's what you guys are asking. I saw that Dark Helmet asked in the chat. If there were technical difficulties, I'm not experiencing any that I can tell, but uh, by all means, guys, please let me know if something sounds amiss. Anyway, let me get into the video game news for this week. The MPD numbers came out for the month of September, and I really expected to see Gears of War at the top of the list for the month of September. That was not the case, shockingly enough. Your number one best-selling title for the month of September was Dat Madden. I'm not even kidding. Madden was the number one best-selling title for the month of September. Gears of War was number two. Dead Island was number three. FIFA Soccer 2012 was number four. NHL 12 was five. Deus Ex was six. Resistance 3 was seven. Lego Star, War, Lego Star Wars was eight. Call of Duty Black Ops was nine, and a surprising title, Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine, was ten to round things out. On the console side of things, Microsoft sold 438,000 units during the month. 
Nintendo reported that they had sold 360,000 3DS units, 240,000 Wii units, and 145,000 standard DS units. Here's the crazy thing. 360,000 3DS units and 145,000 DS units, you would think that people would stop buying the fucking DS. Seriously. It, only because they're priced so close now, it's, it's, it's silly. But the 3DS, 360,000 units. Not, not, not bad, not bad at all. I have to give Nintendo their credit where credit's due. But you know what? That price drop was what fucking helped them. It really did. It was a price drop and nothing more. Now, back to these other MPD numbers. Um, I'm shocked, man. I'm shocked that Gears did not take the number one spot. It had such a huge marketing campaign, so much behind it. But the Madden juggernaut, come August and September, that month belongs to Madden. Unless somebody else can come along and, you know, like if they would have dropped Halo or maybe a new GTA, then, then Madden probably wouldn't have been in that number one spot. But I'm, I'm shocked to see that Gears just couldn't dethrone Madden. It's it's insane. I think the funny thing, in my opinion, is that Gears 3, you know, they did the special on G4. They did all this other shit. You know, Ice-T was promoting the fuck out of it everywhere he went on, on, on Twitter. You had the huge launch parties. You had all the stuff that was being put out, the horde mode, dedicated servers, all this shit. But it just wasn't enough to stop roster update 2012, which coming off an NFL lockout, I'm surprised it did as well as it did. But what can you do? In some Arkham City news, those of you that are playing Arkham City, I am probably going to be picking it up this weekend, so please don't give me any shit. I'm trying to finish the Gears of War 3 single-player campaign, which is surprisingly good. And once I'm done, I'll jump right into Arkham City. But for those of you that are contemplating saving your money, know that if you purchase the game used, you will not be able to use Catwoman. You'll have to actually buy the online pass which will cost you 10 bucks. If you don't want to play, pay the 10 bucks to play as Catwoman, it's not a requirement to complete the game, so I figured you guys would know that. that you know, the, Some of you may be like, ah, pick it up on the flip side used. If you want to play as Catwoman, you're going to have to shell out 10 bucks. And Eurogamer actually broke the news on that. Otherwise, buy it brand new, and not for nothing, Arkham City is a great game. It's, a, it's definitely a day one purchase. Slick is currently playing it. I'm not sure if he's going to review it, but I know he's really pounding the pavement on it. He's also uh, playing a game that we are actually reviewing, which um, he can actually, if he gets a chance later on in the segment, he can call in, share a little bit about the game with the listeners. But, you know, that's, that's our main review that we are working on. And while I'm on the subject of reviews, you will be seeing some reviews on the hardware side of things, I, uh, HTC was kind enough to send us a Wildfire S cell phone. We are testing for HTC. We're going to be reviewing that on the site, and we're also going to be getting an all-weather camera from Olympus, so we're going to start doing more hardware reviews. Those reviews will probably go live this week. I also have a Logitech uh, Google TV review for you guys, and that should be down uh, down pat by the end of the week also. Well, probably by tomorrow or maybe into next week because there's a couple of things I have left to address. When we were at Comic-Con this weekend, we saw a lot of great stuff from Capcom there. Um, first off, Street Fighter X Cross Tekken, Street Fighter X Tekken, however you want to classify it. Uh, they They released a lot of news going into the game. 
Um, one thing that people are going to see is a power-up system called the gem system, which is going to modify characters, abilities, and stats. Uh, I got a little bit of information about it when I was on the show floor, but think of it like when you played, I think Marvel Super Heroes is a good, uh, a good game to cite for that. Maybe Marvel Super Heroes is the best example. When you pick up the Infinity Gems and you get power-ups, that similar type of gem system is what you're going to be seeing in Street Fighter Cross Tekken. So be on the lookout for that. We also got a release date, March 6th in the U.S., March 9th in Europe for Street Fighter X Tekken. On the Marvel vs. Capcom 3 side of things, or, well, now, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, they gave us some details regarding that. There's going to be some free DLC called Heroes and Heralds, which is going to be you, obviously, fighting Galactus' Heralds, with a new ability card system that's going to be un- that's going to be used to unlock new abilities such as inv- invisibility, projectile invincibility, and a-, and a bunch of other stuff, similar to the whole thing with the with the gems. So be on the lookout for that for Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3. They're also doing a-, a mode with Galactus where you'll actually be able to use him. He's not a he has his own mode. You're not going to be able to use him in game, but you'll be able to use Galactus for his own dedicated mode. So be on the lookout for that when Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 drops in November. In some other Arkham City news, we got some DLC news for you guys. If you want to play as Nightwing, that DLC will be available November 1st for $6.99 or 560 points. That's also a, The Nightwing bonus is also available as a pre-order bonus if you pre-ordered the game. But the... The bonus will also give you Wayne Manor and the main hall challenge maps as well. Last but not least, the Robin Pack, which was another pre-order bonus, will be available November 22nd for the same price. It's going to include the Black Mask Hideout and the Freight Train Escape Challenge maps. So if you guys are looking to pick up that DLC and didn't pre-order the game, November 1st for Nightwing, November 22nd for Robin. In some double-dip news, Capcom has confirmed that they will be releasing an HD bundle of the first three Devil May Cry games in 2012. The bundle is going to be released for the 360 and the PS3. You're going to get HD graphics, bonus content, and, of course, achievements and trophies. The suggested retail price is going to be $39.99. So if you love the original Devil May Cry series and you want to see it get the HD treatment, 2012 will be your year for that. I think after the great work that they did with God of War and even with uh, with Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, I knew that they would do it with Devil May Cry only because that series is is it, it's a good series. They started getting a little crazy in the third one. The second one was kind of it had it had things I didn't like, but it wasn't as bad as the fourth one, which I I just couldn't get into. But 2012, 39.99 for the first three Devil May Cry bundles in HD. Battlefield 3 Online Pass, which we all knew was bound to happen. Um, Electronic Arts has confirmed that Battlefield 3 will indeed require an online pass to play multiplayer. The online pass, of course, will be included with new copies of the games, but if you are picking it up used, you will need to purchase it. The reason they're doing the online pass is because servers cost money, according to Alan Kurtz, uh, Dice Core gameplay designer, and used games don't make developers any money. I can't argue that, and besides, if it's like 10 bucks and you're getting the game for 30 bucks, it's still cheaper than retail. 
I see that Slick is uh, on the line. Let me bring him on real quick so he can talk about the game that he is currently reviewing before we continue with the gaming news. Let me bring him in. Slick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? I'm hanging in there, bro. I am uh, testing a lot of new shit, new mic, iPad as a soundboard, lots of work going on. Um, tell us about the game you're reviewing, which is Rocket Birds. Rocket Birds, hard-boiled chicken. Um, I downloaded <laughs> it today, and it, it lives up to the, the title of the game, definitely, because there's several several very awesome boards where you are a big chicken with a rocket strapped to your back, and you just blow the shit out of everything in sight. I mean, for the most part, it's a side, uh, side-scrolling 2D shooter, and a lot of that is, you know, really standard fare, but there's a lot of little cool features, like there's hallways where you can dip into, like, you know, dip behind a corner to avoid getting shot. Your enemies can do the same thing. They know pretty much all the same tricks you do, except none, none of them use grenades. And one of the really cool features is about halfway through, your character gets captured, and you have these you have um, these cardinals who help you, and they give you these things called brain bugs. It basically lets you do like um, a move from back in the Odd World series where you can control your enemies, which not only is something that's fun. It's useful because there are certain areas where you basically get stuck and you need to control one of these guys to advance yourself. Overall, how did you, how, how have you enjoyed the game so far? I know when I forwarded it to you, you were in the midst of, of playing Arkham City. Have you, is it, is it a game you'd recommend? I know you're going to write up a review, but just, just offhand as a, to a casual, would you recommend it, recommend it as a pickup? For a casual game, it's a little bit pricey. I think it's priced at about twelve bucks. But okay. it's I would say I mean it's worth the money. It's there's fifteen levels for the, the solo campaign. So I mean it's less than a buck a level, which is a lot more than you get for some of these you know, these main games we buy in the stores. You buy a game for gotcha. fifty bucks, you get freaking six levels. There is a yeah, co-op right. campaign. There's a co-op campaign which I haven't been able to try because I don't know anybody in my PSN who has the game at this time. And um, with that, you get to use different characters. I think the big challenge of the game is actually completing it, not beating it, because I've beaten it already. Because I really, you know, sat down and played through it. But um, it's like the, each level has these three red targets you have to find, which can annoy the hell out of you. I mean, because there was this one board where I could see where it is, but I just couldn't make the jump, and I know there's some trick that I'm, I'm missing, but I'll figure that out later. And um, there's just certain ways that you have to kill certain people that I also haven't figured out yet, but... There's, considering it's like a, a PSN game, it has a lot of achievements. There's like 30 of them. And that's the, the, the biggest challenge of the game because there's no, also, um, no difficulty settings which kind of bummed me out. I wanted to play it on hard. But, um, 
the music is great, and the music really works with the action in the game. They nice. have a, a band called New World Revolution that did the music for the game. It's based on an earlier game called Rocket Birds Revolution, and it, it adds more levels to the original game and more story because the character that you play, apparently he was like a prisoner of war from when he was a child, and they just raised him and brainwashed him to just kill everything in sight, and they it kind of backfired on them, on the penguins. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a crazy game. Are you when when do you when do you think the the readers will be able to check out a, a written review? I'm gonna try to have that up tomorrow with the um, Young Justice reviews. Sounds good. I'm I'm only asking because I know that you know the game. You've been having such a great time with it. It, it would be it would be a shame to not um, allow other other members of our audience to not check it out since it's one of those games that will probably go under the radar as being an enjoyable title. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I've, I haven't, like I said, I haven't completed it, but I've finished it. So, I mean, other than running around trying to get the rest of the achievements, I, I can give a fair review on it already. Are you, are you going for the Platinum Trophy? <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm going to try. I, I've, I've been able to find some of the, the targets I'm looking for, and some of the achievements are just fun because it's like an achievement for just killing multiple people with grenades and stuff and controlling people and making them do certain things. So a lot of the achievements are actually fun. They're not just like, oh, you have to play the game for 85 hours to get this one achievement. Yeah, I know about that. I've seen that happen. So, I mean, they're, they're fun achievements. I will try to get the Platinum Trophy, but I'm not going to drive myself mad at least not until after I finish Arkham City. Duly noted. Well, while I have you on the air, I did want to share this piece of news with you. According to the Sony blog, the PlayStation Vita will drop February 22nd in North America, Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and Australia. It's going to run for 249 without 3G and 299 with 3G. Do you think Sony's kind of dropping the ball by not releasing it in the, during the holiday season, or do you think it's a safer bet to let people kind of apply all the money and gift cards they got and pick it up in February? They're not dropping the ball because, one, they already know that it has a bigger buzz than the 3DS, which is their only real competition. And I don't care what the... the um iPod or iPhone does, it's not going to be real competition for the Vita once everything's implemented as long as it's implemented properly. Because, well, from a price point, yeah, you, you you eliminate the iPad based on price alone. I mean, if the iPad drop, I mean, you can get an iPad for, for $399, so, but it's obviously a, a multifunctional device. The Vita is still uh, the nuts and bolts is gaming. Right. And I think that the non-3G one will probably sell a lot more than the 3G one will. And not even just because of the price point. It's just that, I don't know, I don't see... Handhelds like this, a lot of people wind up having it and not knowing a lot of people will have it. So it's not like... It's, not, it's probably the, like the, the the hardcore gaming, you know, across platform be the, be done the same place where they do it with their PS3 at home. 
Yeah, using Wi-Fi. Exactly. But it doesn't need to come out in the, the holidays because, I mean, Sony... I guess Sony is letting let go, let Nintendo have, you know, their holiday. And the, the 3DS came out around the same time this past year. So it's, they're positioning it the right way. They're finally deciding to say, you know, people are broke, so let's wait till next year and give them a couple of months where they might actually have some money to buy this shit. Right. Which was well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Are you going to pick it up? Are you going to grab a Vita in February? Uh, depending upon the launch titles, my funds, and things like that. If there are launch titles that I that I personally like, then probably. All right, cool. That works for me. All right, brother. So I will keep out a lookout. Keep on the lookout for the Rocket Birds review. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And um, listeners can be on the lookout for that by this weekend. Another thing I would check out, I know Sony's are having a lot of sales on their, their PSN games, so you never know, there might be one on Rocketbird soon. There you go, and maybe they'll do something if you have a PSN Gold. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth it for 12 bucks, but if it if they say, like, for this one week it's 5 bucks off, people shouldn't be missing it. There you go. All right, brother. Cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. So you can get that Rocket Birds on the PSN network, and Slick will be have that review sometime this weekend, so be on the lookout for it. In some other DLC news this week, Dead Rising 2 off the record is getting a new downloadable content pack. It's going to be the Cyborg Skills Pack. It's going to give you electrical damage for all of Frank West's attacks more damage on melee attacks and extra damage on attacks with electrical appliances. The content drops October 25th, and it's going to just run you $2. You can get it for the, 3F, the, the 360, the PS3, and the PC. In some other DLC news, the EEDAR, or the Electronic Design and Research, well, the Electronic Entertainment Design and Research Group, said that 51% of console owners have bought downloadable content in the past year. Overall, DLC downloadable content is expected to make $875 million this year, with over a billion next year in North America alone. The report also went on to state that 49% of gamers do not purchase DLC for three big reasons. Number one being privacy, no return policy, and too expensive. So, that's a that's a very large number of people that don't pick up DLC. I'm in a camp where if it's valid, if it's necessary for the game, or if it adds a larger portion of gameplay enhancements, I'll pick it up. But I'm also the same guy who buys costume packs for Super Street Fighter Four. So, be that as it may, I don't mind DLC when it's relevant and it's priced attractively. I, I do have to admit that if you're paying twenty bucks for you know, one map pack, it's a little foolish, but, you know, if you price it five or six bucks, it's not too bad. Lastly, speaking of DLC, Major Nelson reported that Gears of War 3 will be getting DLC December 13th for 1,200 points. The content is going to add three hours of gameplay for the single-player campaign featuring new and old characters. It's going to precede events from the first game. 
In addition to that campaign, you're going to get a campaign called Ram's Shadow. It's going to have six new multiplayer characters. You're going to get a chocolate weapon set and 250 achievement points to earn as well. So be on the lookout for that December 13th, and it'll run you 1,200 Microsoft points. And a little bit of double dipping from Take Two, L.A. Noir, the complete edition, will be coming out in November. You'll be able to pick that up on the 360 or PS3 on November 15th in North America and November 18th everywhere else. The game will include all the downloadable content, including the Nicholson electroplating, the console's car, Reefer Madness, the Naked City, and a slip of the tongue. In addition, you'll also get the Badge Pursuit Challenge, and you'll have all the outfits and weapons as well. This complete edition will run you $49.99. Wow, that was a, a, a biting of the tongue on my part. $49.99. I bit my tongue mid-sentence. I apologize. All right, that wraps up the gaming segment. We are going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to talk movies right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubbornRadio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. At Born Southern Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. Woo! We're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man! <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, In the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but pornstepinradio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you get it! Have good mosh feeding. talk movies and I guess at this point we can really start calling it movies and entertainment including TV etc because TV stuff has a way of creeping in and it's happening more often than usual so let's get right into it with news that the Lone Ranger film after being shelved brought back shelved again brought back again is finally going to be making its way to the screen production will begin February 6th they finally figured out a budget the film stars Army Hammer as the Lone Ranger, Johnny Depp as Tonto, Ruth Wilson, Dwight Yoakam, Helena Bonham Carter, James Badgedale, and Barry Pepper are also going to be involved. So the Lone Ranger looks like it's going to pick her up right where the successful Pirates of the Caribbean franchise left off. Hopefully Army Hammer proves to be a suitable lead, and Johnny Depp helps sell this, helps sell this movie to be 
a new potential franchise for Disney. In some TV news, ABC has announced that they have canceled Charlie's Angels, primarily because the ratings were shit, plus the panning by critics. The network is going to air the shows that are left, but the production has stopped. I've actually watched Charlie's Angels, and I will tell you the first couple of episodes, the first couple of episodes were complete dog shit. I was particularly not impressed with the with some of the acting that was going on amongst the angels. I think Ramon Rodriguez was one of the high points, but his involvement was also distracting because Bosley was not as hands-on, so it kind of felt a little out of place. It almost felt like Bosley and Charlie's Angels because he was very active in every episode. The angels, of course, you know, eye candy for, for the fellas, but the storylines weren't they they didn't grab you the way they expected it to. I think that they figured that the attractive women would get the viewers, but they can they can skip on story, which unfortunately led to the demise of the show. So it is out of here. In some what-the-fuck movie news, Paramount and Skydance Films have hired the writers of X-Men First Class to get this, pen the sequel for Top Gun. Variety reports that Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz will write a sequel for the studios. As of right now, no plot details have been confirmed. There's also no word if Tom Cruise will return in any capacity. Jerry Bruckheimer and David Ellison will produce. So there you go. A sequel to Top Gun. I think Top I can't think of the year that Top Gun that Top Gun came out when I was a kid. Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you're going to make a sequel to a movie that's, I'd, I really would like to say at least 20 years old, 1984. Thank you, Strider. So Top Gun came out when I was four years old, and you're going to make a sequel to it. No one is going to give a shit. I'm sorry, but they're not. That's all I got to say. And you're getting the guys that wrote X-Men First Class. It was It was all right. You know, X-Men First Class was good. But it's not like the writers are going to come and, and do something amazing with Top Gun. What's it, what are you going to get, a chubby Val Kilmer and a, a, uh, a short Tom Cruise where all the camera angles will be from the feet up? Come on, man. There's so many other things you can do, so many great properties and books and stories that are out there that you can do. Hell, I actually started writing a horror film, which I, I'm going to give to somebody at some point, and it's different. It's totally original. I like that Slick said that Kelly McGillis ain't even sexy anymore. Kelly McGillis was in Stakeland, and you obviously see that age, you know. What are you going to have her as? An instructor? Maybe? I don't know. Ugh. I think the worst part... Oh, well, Dark Helmet corrected me and Strider by saying that Top Gun came out in 1986. Well, thank you for that, Dark Helmet. I think that with the amount of stuff that's out there and there's so many great concepts and stories, you're going to dig deep and pull a sequel out of your ass for a movie that hasn't even been relevant. If you want to get a good laugh, run, run on YouTube and check out the video of Quentin Tarantino talking about how he felt that Top Gun was the gayest movie you've ever seen. It's hilarious, and when when you hear his monologue about it, it really makes you look at that movie completely different. Not to say that Top Gun wasn't an awesome flick, because when I watched it, I think when I watched it at around eight years old or so, I thought it was super awesome with jets and, and running around shooting shit. It was awesome. But now, 
it hasn't aged well. But that's a homework assignment. Check out Quentin Tarantino's take on Top Gun. I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to get a laugh with regards to that. Cinemax had to halt production of the Transporter series that they're working on because Chris Vance, the star of the series, was injured on set. Turns out that Vance got hurt while they were filming an action scene in Toronto, so the network decided to hold off on further production until Vance is healthy. So for those of you that were really looking forward to the Transporter series, you're going to have to wait until the star gets better. In some box office news, Real Steel stayed number one at the box office, $16.3 million for the number one spot. It's better than average with a 40% drop. It's made $51.7 million domestically, $73.8 million worldwide on a $110 million budget, and I'm sure they will make a lot of that money back on the Blu-ray release. If you guys haven't checked it out, read my review of Real Steel. It was a surprisingly enjoyable movie that had a bigger message than Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Footloose opened up at number two, $16.1 million for the 1980s remake. It averaged $4,536 out of 3,549 theaters. The movie had a $24 million budget, so I'm sure that it'll break even and probably surpass that as well. The Thing opened at number three. Ides of March was four. Dolphin Tail was five. Brad Pitt's Moneyball was six. 50-50 was seven. Courageous was eight. The Big Year was number nine. That's just because Steve Martin fucking sucks, and he's a fucking hack now. And The Lion King 3D was 10. I'm sorry. Steve Martin was funny when I was a kid. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with John Candy was the shit. But even Roxanne, if you want to go back, Roxanne, he was really good in that. But lately, he's just... I don't know what the fuck happened. I think these comedians, they got older, and somebody pulled the funny bone out of their ass, and they forgot what it's like to be funny. Same shit happened with Adam Sandler. What the fuck happened to him? And even Eddie Murphy to a degree. You know, I shit on Eddie Murphy, but his body of work from 48 Hours, Coming to America, um, Beverly Hills Cop. Hell, even Metro had some funny parts in it. And you know what the worst shit is? I can even say that Vampire in Brooklyn was kind of funny. It had moments where it was funny. But the new shit that they're putting out some of these comedians, get the fuck out of here. In, a, in something that should come as a shock to none of you guys, none of you guys, Transformers Dark of the Moon, $1.1 billion worldwide. Everybody said, yeah, the third one would be the last one. That is not the case. Hasbro is looking into doing Transformers 4. During the company's third quarter conference call, Hasbro president and CEO Brian Goldner stated that the company is in active discussions with Paramount Pictures director Michael Bay and executive producer Steven Spielberg for a fourth Transformers film. He added the following. We continue to actively develop a number of additional Hasbro films with great partners and writers, including a Micronauts film, Ouija, Candyland, Risk, Stretch Armstrong, Clue, and Monopoly. I kid you not. He did say that with a straight face. Variety went on to report that they plan on, re on shooting the sequels back-to-back. -back. Word is that Shia is unlikely to return, and after getting his ass whooped at that Toronto nightclub, I don't want to see him on my screen either. I guess yelling for Optimus didn't save him from the ass whooping he caught this weekend, huh? 
As of right now, there are a lot of rumors saying that Jason Statham may be taking over the leading role, but no negotiations for that have been discussed. Right now, Michael Bay is working on a film called Pain and Gain, and he wants to complete that before even looking at another Transformers sequel, much less two in a row. That Power Rangers beep was a text message at 12.30 at night. Michael Bay went on his website and issued a statement with regards to him returning for Transformers 4 and 5. He went to say the following. I am currently not talking... Ladies and gentlemen, this is Slick. appears Rich is having some technical difficulties and he should be right back. I don't know what the hell happened. But I'm going to say that Blog Talk Radio is at the heart of it. Actually, it was Skype. It was Skype. It was Skype this time. Welcome back. <laughs> now, Blog Talk Radio gets a pass. I got a text message, and I think the text message was from a ghost, and they decided to cut off the Skype call, so we are back on the air. I will edit that out and post, of course. Anyway, as I was saying, Transformers 4 and 5. Michael Bay went on his website, said that he was not talking to Paramount despite reports. He went on to say that he's looking at a lot of possibilities that are coming his way and weighing options out. Right now, he really wants to focus on Pain and Gain, which is a true story crime thriller. He said it's a very quick shoot and quite funny. He's also working on a three-disc set of the Transformers trilogy, which, there you go. Any of us that got suckered into buying those movies on Blu-ray, now he's going to release a three-disc set. God knows what the fuck it is that he's going to put in, but he's working on the three-disc set, and he wants to do his movie first. Transformers 4 and 5 is going to be filmed back-to-back, allegedly. But as of right now, Michael Bay is dismissing his involvement, which he's wise to do. But when you have a film that made a billion dollars worldwide, you know there's going to be another one. There's no fucking way that nobody's going to turn away this money. It's simple as that. Now, of course, you ask yourself, You killed all the Decepticons. What happens? Something that we've all discussed, I've discussed it with Slick, I've even discussed it with a couple of people off air who I'm friends with that like the Transformers movies. The fact is that this will be a great opportunity to go and go with Unicron, bring in Galvatron, bring in the Swoops. Most of those guys are dead. And you can go really crazy with 4 and 5. You can do a a really huge epic. You can even throw... Uh, as, as shitty as it is, you can even throw Hot Rod in there. Not to say that you'll make him Hot Rodimus Prime, but you can throw him in there, add a little bit of a continuity from, from the old 80s movies and the cartoons, and do stuff with the Matrix. But if you're going to keep Michael Bay in there and you want to do something, the only thing you can do is Unicron. And I agree with what Slick just said in the chat, less humans. One of the things that made Dark of the Moon so good was the fact that the human involvement was there, but they made sure to focus primarily on the robots, especially with everything that was going on with Sentinel Prime and Optimus and their relationship and the stuff going on with Megatron. That was a really great way to do it. And it's funny that they finally got the formula right in the third one. So I'm hoping that if they're going to do a fourth and a fifth, that continues. Unicron would be the best way to go, unfortunately. Who knows what will happen, how much involvement Hasbro will have, and what kind of crazy shit Michael Bay will come up with. But I figured you guys would want to know about that. So Transformers 4 and 5 is strongly being considered. 
Speaking of which, I said earlier about Hasbro wanting to market some of their other properties. Deadline.com reported that the screenwriters for Zombieland, Rhett Reese, and Paul Wernick have come on board for an adaptation of Micronauts. They had already worked on a previous Hasbro property, which was the sequel for G.I. Joe. So there you go. Wernick and Reese will now be writing Micronauts. Now, The Walking Dead started last last week, as a matter of fact, broke the all-time basic cable record for viewers. Now comes word that they're going to do a Zombieland TV series. They're going to continue the film as a TV series. The Hollywood Reporter says that a TV series has replaced plans for a sequel. The show is being developed as a half-hour show, and Reese and Wernick are involved, but the full cast is unlikely to return. So there you go. No Zombieland sequel, Zombieland TV show. Now, the problem with that is that much like we have with the Twilight situation, we have way too many vampires on TV. We got, uh, we got vampires that have popped up on Supernatural, even though that's not the main thing. You've got the Vampire Diaries. You've got True Blood and countless other shit that's, popped, that's come and gone involving vampires. And I have a feeling that by doing this with the zombie genre, we're going to see the same shit. You've got The Walking Dead... Now you want to go Zombieland. What, what the fuck? Zombieland was okay. For the amount of critical acclaim and, and everybody told me, it's so fucking funny. It was, it was good, but I didn't laugh as much as I thought. On the contrary, I think I've, I, the, the best zombie comedy, in my opinion, is a, a toss-up between Shaun of the Dead and the Return of the Living Dead series, only because both of them used great, shock and awe, but also a great mix of comedy. I think Zombieland, other than the rules, which were good, I just didn't see the redeeming value in people making it seem like that was the end-all, be-all of zombie movies. Just my opinion. I'm sure some of you guys would disagree, but I didn't, I didn't see the, the huge pull that Zombieland has over a lot of people. But maybe I'm in the minority, literally and figuratively. Moving on. The Avengers was talked about heavily at Comic-Con, but we also got word that they will be doing a live-action Hulk TV show. In the new series, the Hulk will look at the same as the Hulk in the Avengers film, and they're going to use CGI modeling and prosthetics for the Hulk character. This particular TV series will focus on the relationship between Betty Ross and Bruce Banner at the beginning of the Hulk's existence. Somehow I see them trying to market this as a Beauty and the Beast thing so that they can get some some female viewers. I'll reserve judgment till I, till I see what the Hulk looks like, but that seems to be the name of the game. The Hulk will, be re, will return as a TV show. The only way that would be even better is by, is by playing the slow, uh, sad music that they play in the Hulk in the old Bill Bixby series with uh, the sad, lonely man theme. That would, that would complete this series. It would, make, it would put a smile on my face, but uh, lonely man theme definitely needs to be done. And it needs to be done right at the end as the credits roll. Simple as that. In, in news that I've talked about before because of the whitewashing, and now it seems that they are officially moving forward with it, Akira is getting the big screen treatment. Of course, you guys have heard me shit on this whitewashing scenario that they've done with this film. But now it seems that they will be greenlighting it with Warner Brothers uh, assuming responsibility the film will be directed by Jaume Collet Sarah. And get this, Garrett Hedlund from Tron Legacy, 
may be set to star as Kaneda. Obviously, Akira is a film about a cyberpunk dystopia, and they're going to move it to New Manhattan rather than New Tokyo. They plan on begin on beginning production for that in February. So there you go, folks. Fucking Akira, live action. Garrett Hedlund is probably going to play Kaneda. Garrett Hedlund is not Asian. He is white. So take that for what it's worth. And we are going from Neo Tokyo to New Manhattan. I'm sure. I'm sure this is going to be a solid winner. That millions upon millions of people are going to be clamoring for this film. Yuck. Last but not least, Sony Pictures is in final negotiations to adapt and distribute a movie based on the Assassin's Creed video games. Ubisoft Motion Pictures, the film and production arm of the game publishing company, has announced that they were developing 3D feature films based on Assassin's Creed, Splinter Cell, and Ghost Recon. Jean de Riveris, Ubisoft's senior VP of international marketing, said the following about moving into films. Our strategy is not to diversify, but to bolster the appeal of our franchises. That's why we want to make sure our films will reflect the brand accurately and consolidate our fan base while expanding beyond the game's primary target audience. I actually like that statement because... He's, he's really telling people, look, the shit's about assassins. We're going to use the characters that are there. We're going to use the stories that exist. Give us a shot. I'm not going to shit on it because I think if you do something with Assassin's Creed and you do it right, it can become a very great franchise. And doing a film based on Splinter Cell, you know, it's, it, it's called The Born Identity. Same shit with Ghost Recon. Assassin's Creed... Definitely has box office potential, but Splinter Cell and Ghost Recon. Um, I have to go with something that Strider said in the chat that he does have a point about. Splinter Cell and Ghost Recon have Tom Clancy's name attached to it, so they really need to do a good job with that because obviously the Tom Clancy stuff comes under incredible scrutiny from fans of Tom Clancy's work. So we can only hope that Ubisoft does the right thing and make sure to give these franchises big screen justice. We'll see how it pans out. That's going to actually wrap up the show for this week. A lot of stuff got done. We felt a little light just because coming off post-Comic-Con, but hey, hopefully next week things will pick up. So let's wrap things up. As I mentioned at the start of the show, our Brawling for Boobies tournament begins next week. You can get all the information by heading over to mytakeradio.com. Proceeds from the event will go to Susan Coleman for the cure. Minimum donation is $5 if you, if you plan on playing uh, during any of the days. You don't have to donate $5 for each day, but definitely a, a one-time donation um, is required and would be appreciated. Uh, for those of you that don't want to participate in the, game, in the gaming events but you want to help out, by all means, you're invited to donate. Like I said, minimum donation, $5. You can donate from 5 up to whatever you wish. Our target goal is $1,000. Um, Dark Helmet was asking me about Dark Knight Rises. I didn't get the full story on it. I'll probably talk about it next week. So be on the lookout for that. I see that Dark Helmet mentioned it in the chat, and I only caught the tail end of the story, so I wanted to give it justice, and I know he wanted to, to discuss it. So we'll do that next week, Dark Helmet. Also, as I was saying, brawling for movies next week, Mortal Kombat on Monday. EA Sports MMA on Tuesday, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 Wednesday, EA MMA and UFC Undisputed on Thursday, 
and Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition and Third Strike Online will also be played on Friday. Uh, start time is going to be 9 p.m. Eastern till 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Thursday. Friday, we're going to go from 9 p.m. Eastern to midnight, and we'll be able to uh, give everybody ample playing time. Of course, if you want to play after 11 p.m., you're welcome to do so, but I'm going to try and be involved from 9 to 11. Clearly, Thursday, I'm going to be involved as best as I can till 11 since we got to do a live show. We are working on doing hopefully some live streaming. I've spoken to our partners at Unveil and our friends at Middle Easy, so hopefully we'll be able to get some live streaming of some of the events, and you guys will be able to watch some of that online. Noel Brown is coming on board to play Marvel vs. Capcom 3, so if you want to test your skills against one of the top-ranked players in the world, do yourself a favor, drop five bucks towards a good cause, and you can test your skills against Noel Brown. It's a great uh, it's a great event, in my opinion, like I said, to bring communities together from mixed martial arts to video games, bring both audiences together for a greater good. It's a fantastic community event, and like I said, all the pro- proceeds are going to a good cause. This is, as I've said in previous episodes, this is something very personal to me. Um, you know, I lost my mom to it, so uh, there's there's some emotional attachment to the success of this event, not to mention the fact that I'd like to do something above and beyond the normal of other gaming events. So please do what you can. Head over to MyTakeRadio.com. Check it out. Minimum donation, 5 bucks if you want to play. If you don't want to play and still want to donate, you're welcome to do that as well. If you don't have web access and you want to donate and you're local, you can do a cash donation and it can be submitted also. Something I'm really not 100% comfortable doing, but for those of you that either don't have debit cards or credit cards or you want to just do it cash, you can do that. I'm not a fan of it, but we'll make sure it gets there. That's a promise. Um, something that I've skipped on like the last six episodes, at my t- we are offering advertising space on the site and on the show. There is an application you can fill out on mytakeradio.com. It has a full price breakdown. We're offering 30-second commercial spots, segment sponsorships, and website advertising. If you want to learn more about that, you can send me an email at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com and we can discuss it further, or you can fill out the application on the site. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or for the MTR Behind and Beyond the Mic series, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow My Take Radio on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash mytakeradio. If you're on Facebook, hit that like button, show your support, facebook.com forward slash mytakeradio for that. If you're on sport, on Formspring, you got a couple of questions, you want to know some stuff about the show or about some of the games or comics or whatever we're doing, formspring.me forward slash mytakeradio. You can listen to My Take Radio on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, and also on Mixler. You can get the official My Take Radio app for Android and iTunes. It will cost you $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee. You'll get access to 64K stereo episodes of My Take Radio. You'll also get access to My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic. You'll also get wallpapers and other exclusive content available on the app. Stitcher subscribers will get the My Take Radio interview series Behind and Beyond the Mic as well. 
Lastly, if you want to win 100 bucks from Stitcher, courtesy of Stitcher and MTR, head over to stitcher.com forward slash mytake. Enter mytake as the promo code to get the Stitcher app, and you will be entered to win $100, courtesy of Stitcher and MyTake Radio. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up. Time to head out of here. We are going to try playing something off the soundboard this week, and I think we're going to go with Mountain Breaker. It is the theme song for Akuma off the Super Street Fighter 4 soundtrack. Actually, it's from the Super Street Fighter 4 Turbo HD Remix album put out by OC Remix, and I'll catch you guys next week. Parole for Booby starts October 24th. Thanks for listening. Peace.